Well, I can't wait for heaven. We're going to talk about heaven today and the Lord willing for a few weeks. Most of us know very little about our true home. For many of us, it seems remote, even maybe irrelevant to our day-to-day existence. Just the overwhelming responsibilities of just living in this world sometimes eclipse much thought about a heavenly home. I'm just trying to make it through today. I'm not really worried about tomorrow. The fact is, heaven is not some fanciful destination. It's not some creation of the mind by nice people who just didn't want us to be overwhelmed by the harsh realities of life. No, in fact, heaven is the eternal home of every believer. A few years ago, when Pauline and I had the privilege of representing the home church, going to the Philippines, we were in the airport, and I saw all these people with these big, giant boxes. And on every box, it said, Balak Bayan. Here's a picture. That's what everybody that goes to the Philippines, except for us, has. We have a little carry-on. But... Uh, I asked those that were with us, what is this Bollock Bayan boxes that all these people have? I mean, they all had the same boxes, said the same thing on them. And uh, we came to find out that the word in Tagalog, Bollock Bayans, means returning home or going home. And uh, Filipinos who's been abroad, especially in America, they're going back home and they're taking their stuff with them or they're bringing stuff to their family back home. It is a homecoming. It is a returning back to where they came from. It is always exciting. And of all the places we've ever traveled, it's the only place that when you land, everybody gives, starts clapping. And uh, there have been a few flights that I wanted to start clapping when I got off of it, for sure. But uh, they all were getting home. And according to John chapter 14, Jesus is building us a home. In fact, he is the building superintendent for the greatest building program that there's ever been. He is the head of the construction project in heaven. There have been a lot of popular books of late uh, talking about heaven. There are books about people who have gone there, apparently for a time or seemingly so, There was a very uh, well-read one a few years ago of a pastor and his son, and the son actually went to heaven, and he came back, uh, what he said about those things. There are others who have uh, cultural customs, what heaven might be like, and certainly religion has its own traditions. But the best source, and the most reliable source, in fact, it's 100% reliable, is the blessed Word of God. And by going to the Word of God, we can actually find out what the Bible says about heaven. Surprisingly, when we begin to study the subject of heaven in the Bible, the Bible has more to say about what's not there than what is there. And yet there are some very key passages that give us a a good understanding of what heaven is about. And when we find that, I think you'll all say the same thing, can't wait for heaven. And that's our sermon series for the next few weeks, the Lord willing. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, we can't wait to see that heavenly home. In the meantime, Lord, we'll occupy, we'll do what we can 
But Lord, we can't wait. We can't wait for that heavenly home. Lord, I pray that you'd comfort our hearts with these words today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's go to John chapter 14, if you would, please. One of the most primary passages, and this one we find Jesus himself speaking about heaven. John chapter 14 and verse number 1. Let's read all those together, if you would, please, reading in the King James Version. It's here on the PowerPoint if you need it. All right, ready, begin. Let's read it out loud. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Gallup did a poll of American people asking if they believed in heaven, believed if they believed in hell, and several other religious dogma. It was an interesting what people felt like heaven. I was actually surprised when I read it. 72% of American people said they actually believe in heaven. Kind of a surprising figure to me. And uh, unsurprising of those that felt like they, uh, or heaven was real, 60% felt like they were going there. And I suppose that that is something that comforts our mind. If there is a heaven, certainly I want to be going there. But there's an old black spiritual that correctly says that everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And so maybe that's what we should say to ourselves when we talk about heaven. We need to realize what heaven is about and what it takes to get there. Now in John chapter 14, we find the setting. Christ is just a few hours before his crucifixion. He is trying to comfort the hearts of the 12. He is somehow trying to brighten a troubled heart. And so he gives them four reassurances about their heavenly, their eternal home. Number one, heaven is a prescription to you. It is the best medicine that you'll ever have. Verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Maybe it was their faces. Maybe it was the words they were saying. Whatever the case, they were stressed. As I talked with one brother this week, he said, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I said, amen. Sometimes I feel like I'm too stressed to be blessed. But maybe they were just so stressed that they just couldn't feel the blessings of heaven. Jesus had told them that he was going to be betrayed. This was troubling to each of them, especially to Peter. They were all hurting for their master, and they were hurting for themselves, I'm sure. They were wondering who was going to be next if Jesus was about ready to be killed. These were good men. They had left all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and they loved him as they had never loved anyone or anything in their life. And so as they were looking to him, looking for anything, something, just to comfort their hearts with, he looks at him and he says, brothers, don't let your heart be troubled. Three things about that little statement. Don't let your heart be troubled. Troubled. Don't lose your peace. He didn't say, you know, I don't want you to be sad. I, you're going to be sad. He didn't 
say, I don't want you to ignore this pain. He just said, don't let it deter you from your mission. Keep your peace. You're going to be heartbroken. It's going to be difficult. But I want you to know you don't have to be troubled. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, you can't stop things from happening. This thing that's been set in motion is God's plan, and you're not going to be able to physically stop it. But you can stop what's going on in your heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't get bitter, and don't get discouraged. He said, I want you just to make sure that you don't lose your peace, and keep focusing on the mission, and don't lose your heart. And then he said, don't lose your heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. Remember who you are. You are my disciples. You are saved. You have a heavenly home. You are redeemed by the blood. You're going to join me sooner than you might imagine. And so he writes them, Dr. Jesus writes them the best prescription anybody could ever have. He said, believe in God. Believe in God. Believe God. Trust God at this moment. Believe that there is a God. Believe that He's a loving God. Believe that He's a wise God. Believe that He is a good God. Believe that He is Lord over everything. And believe what God has said about a heavenly home. But notice what He also said. He said, believe in God. Believe in me. He is God in the flesh, but He wanted them to remind themselves of their salvation. Remember that you are born again. Effectively, he was simply saying, remember, I'm your Savior. Remember that you're saved from hell. Remember, you don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. Remember me. Remember your salvation. Pastor Emeritus, Dr. Erwin Lutzer of the Moody Church, wrote a book called One Minute After You Die. He says some powerful words uh, in that book. One minute after you die, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Those who find themselves in heaven, every description of heaven they have ever heard will pale in light of reality. But others, unbelievers, death will be far worse than they ever imagined. And then he closes with the haunting words, where will you be one minute after you die? Jesus was looking at these men and he was saying, gentlemen, one minute after you die, you get me. Believe God and believe the fact that because you have trusted me, you have an eternal life. We should not imagine for a second that once somehow we're going to get to heaven because we just believe we will, or somehow we think we will, or maybe because of the faith of our wife, or because we have a child who is already there. Now, the fact is, we go to heaven because on an individual basis, we have the right credentials. We have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said, the best prescription, the best medicine for anybody is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer to everything really is the fact that if we're believing in Jesus Christ, believe in me, trust Jesus, admit our sinless, sinfulness, and, 
admit the fact that we are helpless to go to heaven on our own. Trust Jesus alone and know that he is our hope for heaven. The old song that we sing, Trust and Obey, I like what someone said. It probably should say, Trust and Okay. And that really is what happens. It is the best prescription for a hurting heart. And so the first thing that Jesus said is, don't let your heart be troubled. Let, take this gospel medicine. It is the best medicine that you could ever have. There was a pharmacist who was going over directions for a prescription bottle with an elderly patient. He looked at the older patient and he said, now be sure not to take this more than often than once every four hours. Don't worry, she said. It takes me four hours just to get the lid off. <laughs> and if you are my age and other age, you'll know exactly what that means. But the fact is, thank God, there's no lid on heaven. Amen. We go, Bible says we are absent from the body and present with Jesus because of the shed blood of the Lord. It is the best prescription. Heaven is the best medicine that we could have for a troubled heart. It is not only a prescription, but it is a place. Heaven is a place, number two. Look at verse two. Let's read verse two together, if you would, please. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Three times he indicates that it is a physical place. It's a house. There's a mansion. It's a place. Scripture always represents heaven as real. It is a real place. It is a real house. It is a real mansion. It is a place. It's not some foggy, cloudy, spiritual place that we just kind of gaseous, uh, you know, exist in some kind of form. No, it is a place. It may not be made with human hands, but it is very real. I know there are many who think that heaven can't be real. It's just a fairy tale. The late professor Stephen Hawking, eminent Cambridge scientist, said that heaven was just a, quote, fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. I might add that uh, Dr. Hawking might have a different perspective now. The fact of the matter is, it is not a fairy tale. It is very real. And that's why Jesus looks at him, these fellows, he didn't say, well, be happy because you're going to soon evaporate and you'll just be in the Netherland. He didn't say, well, the good thing is you're going to leave this body and you'll never have uh, to worry about it because you're just going to be floating around on a cloud somewhere. No, he said, Comfort yourself with these words. There is a place that you're going to go to. It is a better place. Notice what it says. I go to prepare a place for you. That is the Greek word topos, T-O-P-O-S. T-O-P-O-S, if you look at that word closely, you might realize that that is the root word for our English word topography. Topography is when you take physical features and uh, put them on a map or Somehow you show the, the way something actually is physically. And so it is uh, a place. It is a, and every time it is translated in the New Testament, it means house or town. Notice what it says when the word mansion. It is the Greek word mone, which means habitat, lodging, 
And then the word house. I was intrigued by the Greek word house. You know what the word is? Oikia, <laughs> as in Ikea. But anyway, um, it is uh, oikia, and uh, it simply means house. And so, three times Jesus said it's a place, it's a topography, it is a mansion, it is a real monet, it is a place you go to, it is an Ikea, <laughs> it is a house, it's a home. And all three of these words, every time in the New Testament, all indicate a literal place, never really spiritualized as it might be here. When Pastor Luke was born, our first child years ago, we, uh, or before he was born, he, we knew he was coming and uh, we got all excited that he was coming and, you know, there was no way to really know whether it was a boy or a girl back then, but so we just picked a, a color red and so we made everything red and uh, we had a big red round rug and red and we figured we could, you know, kind of pull it to pink if we needed to, or add some blue if we needed to. But the fact is, we were preparing for His coming. And uh, that's what Jesus is doing right now. He is preparing a place. It is a distinct place. Actually, many commentaries believe that what God is referring to is an allusion to, uh, an, um, to the Old Testament tabernacle or even temple when the priest would live in the place there, and there were many different apartments in that, and that we would be like kings and priests under the Lord living in His tabernacle. Many mansions, maybe that's what it means. There's going to be a grand reunion, amen, many mansions, many. That means there's going to be all kinds of people up there we're going to have fellowship with. It's going to be awesome. I was in that new building this week, and they've taken off the protective uh, plywood for those beautiful windows now, and you go inside that lobby, and man, I just can't believe all the natural light in there. It's just amazing. It's so beautiful. And uh, it's going to be a place of reunion. It's going to be a place of fellowship, and that's what God says. It's a grand reunion. Now, where is heaven? Well, it's actually up. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice verse number 2, Paul said he was caught up to heaven. He was caught up to the third heaven. Verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise. Now, the Bible always paints heaven as being up. This is a point where some atheists and other Bible deniers will say, well, that just shows you how silly the Bible is because we live on a globe. And so, if you live, uh, you know, in the east you know, and you look up, it's actually, you know, you're actually looking uh, east. And if you over here, you, everybody just looks from their point of the globe. There's no such thing as up. But actually, the Bible clarifies the word up by saying it's actually north. And in that regard, there is an up because the North Pole is a fixed place. And that's what the Bible actually clarifies. It says it is in the north. It's interesting that scientists say that there actually is a hole above the North Pole. It is the only place that there is such a thing. They say it's 20 light years away. And uh, there's a picture that, uh, of some representation of what that might be, but above the North Pole, it is a space up there. Look what it says in Isaiah 14, verse 13, thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, the sides of the north. Lucifer, Satan, 
was saying, I'm going to be like the stars, and I'm going to go to the place of God. I'm going to exalt my throne in the north, in the north where heaven is. In Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 11, when God was telling his people how to make a blood sacrifice, he told them to kill the animal, and then he said, kill it on the north side of the altar. That's the God side. In Psalm 75 and verse number 6, it says, God is the one who promotes people. God is the one who makes us successful. And he uses this poetical language. David wrote this, and he said, For promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Well, it's not from the east or the west or the south. Where does it come from? It comes from the north, because God is the judge. That's where God is. God is in the north. Bishop Fulton Sheen was a, uh, an author, a public speaker, a great uh, cleric. He and he uh, traveled around the world and giving speeches and giving messages. In one particular place, he tells the story he had stopped to talk to a few boys for direction. He was going to the town hall to give a lecture. And they told him that the town hall, uh, where it was, and uh, they said, what are you going to do there? He said, well, I'm actually giving a lecture on heaven and how to get there. Would you like to come and find out? And the kids looked at him and shook their said, uh, head and said, are you kidding? You don't even know the way to the town hall. We're not coming to listen to you. But the fact is, I may not know the way to Lodi, or I don't know the way to San Jose. I do know the way to San Jose. But, um, <laughs> but if you know the way to San Jose, I'll tell you one thing, you've got to know the way to heaven. It's through Jesus. Now, what does Paul say? Paul said that there is a first heaven, that there is a second heaven. And then he said, I was in the third heaven. Now, he didn't talk much about it. In fact, he said he didn't speak about it for 15 years. The third heaven, what's he talking about? You can jot these notes down. You, but the first heaven is the atmospheric heaven. That's the, we go outside and you see the beautiful blue skies. That's the first heaven. On Friday when all the shaking and rattling was going on, all that rain was coming down, that's the first heaven. The second heaven is the stars or what we would know as outer space. And then the third heaven. That's heaven. That's where God is. Someone once said about the three heavens, they said, the first one we see by day, the second by night. And the third, by faith. <laughs> and that's how we see the three heavens. And actually, there is a fourth heaven. Those who are Bible students scratch their heads sometimes and say, okay, I thought the Bible said there were three heavens. Well, actually, while the Bible doesn't call it a fourth heaven, it is, in fact, a fourth heaven because the Bible talks about the fact there's going to be a new earth and a new heaven, which is different than the third heaven. God is preparing it right now. Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 and 2, God talks about this new heaven. It's a new earth, and it's a new Jerusalem. What is this? Well, the next event in God's prophetical calendar is the rapture of the church, and uh, we are the rapture generation. One of these moments, the trumpet's going to sound. Our trumpeters weren't here today, but that trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to be out of here. Then there's going to be seven years of great tribulation on this earth, marked by an increase of it in the middle when the Antichrist is revealed and the man of sin. 
Then Jesus is going to come back with his saints, and he is going to establish an earthly kingdom. Till that point, there's just three heavens. Then through the thousand-year reign, at the end of the thousand-year reign, there's going to be a rebellion by Satan. Jesus is going to put that down, and then he's going to cast those into the lake of fire whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life. Hell is going to be, uh, is going to be populated. And then the Bible says at that moment, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And one of the most prominent features of this new heaven and this new earth, or the fourth heaven, is that there is a celestial, atmospheric, big giant asteroid type cube that's in the sky. In fact, the Bible very clearly gives literal dimensions of it. I can't uh, imagine why God would give exact measurements if it's just a fictitious thing. No, not at all. In fact, the Bible says that the new Jerusalem is going to suspend over earth. There are some artist depictions of what those might be like, uh, uh, but it's actually 1,500 miles in every direction. It's a big, giant cube. The surface area is 2 million square miles. If you wanted a reference point of how tall that actually is, um, the, the tallest scar, sti, uh, skyscraper in the world today is in Dubai. It is, if you can imagine, 163 stories, 2,700 feet tall. I mean, that is just incredible. The, uh, the, the New Jerusalem, if it was a skyscraper, would be 660,000 stories high. It is made of all kinds of precious uh, minerals and stones, and the gates are made out of solid pearl. Some people have said, well, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, that's not big enough for all the people who've ever been saved. But the fact is, some mathematician did some calculations. He said if you took 20 billion residents, 20 billion people who had become Christians over the years, gave them each 75 acres, including enough for parks and lakes and walkways and all the niceties that you might expect in any resort, the Bible says you could still, you could fit 20 billion people and still have room. And each one gets 75 acres. I tell you what, heaven is a real place. You may not have any acreage here. You may not own anything here. But I'll tell you one thing, one day in heaven, you're going to have 75 plus acres. You're going to have a private lake. You're going to have everything. It is unbelievable. It is a place. It is a real place. It makes sense to me. God says we're going to have a real resurrected body. We need some place to put our resurrected feet. Amen. New shoes, like Dennis and Irwin used to sing. You'd say, what is it like? Well, Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, really, heaven's a lot like earth, only just a lot better. Her words, earth is crammed with heaven. I love that statement. And every bush aflame with God, if you'll take your shoes off and see it. Heaven is a prescription. Heaven is a place. It is also prepared. Look at verse 2. I go to prepare a place for you. (laughs) For you. Very clearly, the Greek language is that it is with you in mind. With you in mind. What is it that you like? Are you a mountain person or are you a beach person? 
Or are you a desert person? <laughs> you look crazy, but um, what kind of person are you? The Bible said, you're going to get a mansion prepared for you. Verse 3, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, they, there you may be also. Christ went his way to prepare a place for his disciples. He went to make sure everything was taken care of, like a good real estate agent, to make sure that the title was all clear, like a good attorney making sure everything was settled, like someone who, like a good contractor just wanting to do a final walkthrough to make sure everything's perfect. The Bible says that Jesus is making sure that everything is good for us because he wants us to be happy. In fact, in Matthew 25 and verse 34, it says that he has been preparing our heavenly place since the foundation of the world. Look what it says, Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For me, prepared for me, my mansion, my place, it's going to be amazing. Dio Moody, elite evangelist said, heaven is a place as much as New York is. In fact, a good deal more because New York will pass away, but heaven will not. The Bible says we'll be surrounded by our loved ones. People say, you mean you actually know people in heaven? Yes, absolutely we know people in heaven. The Bible says that David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, had to go through a very terrible, difficult season. He lost his child, his child was born, and then only lived a little bit of time, and he had to put his baby in baby land, and he had to bury his own child. He fasted and he prayed, and then when it was all done, people, uh, he got excited, and he started rejoicing, and he started having a hallelujah fit, and in the midst of all of his weeping, he started getting excited about things. And they said, what in the world are you doing? He said, yes, my baby is gone, but verse 23, I shall go to him. Personal. Him. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to see my baby. And for those of us who've had miscarriages that maybe didn't get to see our baby, I can't wait to see what heaven's going to be like. And others, parents and loved ones and people who we care so much about. The Bible says we are going to go to them. It is a beautiful place. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus was transfigured. We have a little artist depiction here of what it might have been like when Jesus was transfigured. When he was transfigured, you remember there were some people there. There was Moses and there was Elijah. Now, how did they know that? I have no idea. They were New Testament Christians, and they were uh, hundreds, perhaps thousands of years earlier than them. And yet the Bible says they recognized Moses. They recognized Elijah. We are recognizable even in our glorified body. Hallelujah. We get something new in heaven. There was an elderly couple that passed away, and they found themselves at the pearly gates. Peter was there to welcome them, and he was the first to show them to their mansion. And the man was absolutely overwhelmed at the luxury of it all. And he said, honestly, he said, this is amazing. How much does this place cost every night? 
He said, sir, this is heaven. It doesn't cost you anything. And then Peter took him to a dining room where there was food piled upon food, the best food you could ever imagine. He looked at all that delicious food and he said, well, how much does it cost for all these meals and all this food? The man said, this is heaven. He said, it's free. And then he took that man out back and out back was a beautiful golf course. The most luxurious golf course, most amazing golf course he'd ever seen. The man stood there open mouthed and Peter said, now before you say anything, there's no green fees in heaven. Everything's free. At that point, the man looked at his wife and he said, you and your confounded bran muffins. I could have been here 10 years ago. Amen. Heaven is prepared for us, and I'm ready to go. Heaven is a prescription. It is a place. It is prepared, and it is a possession. Verse number three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. It's your possession. It's yours. In due time, when everything's ready, I will come again. Mark it down. I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself. We're going to be together. You're going to have this place, but you're going to have me. And he has built it all. I mean, it doesn't make sense for him to build all of that and then not let us go there, not be able to allow us to enjoy it. No, the Bible says, I go and prepare a place for you. And now, what is the purpose of this place? The Bible says that you may be with me. Now, I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. That's the best thing about heaven. As much as I'm looking forward to the most beautiful golf course without any green fees and all the food you could ever want and luxurious places to live, the most exciting thing about heaven, Jesus said that you can be with me and I'll be with you. When I come home from a long day and I come home through that uh, door, I come through that back garage door, and I open that door up, and I say, honey, I'm home. Now, the first thing I do, I don't, I don't run over to my lamp and just start hugging my lamp, saying, man, I love this lamp. This is a beautiful Tiffany lamp. I just love this lamp. I don't run over to my chair, the chair that looks out over the vineyards there, and say, boy, I love my chair. Man, no, the first thing I do when I come home, the first thing I do, I run from the arms of my wife. I want to give her a big kiss, and I want to say, honey, you're the reason I come home. You're the reason I want to, I'm coming here. And that's the best thing about heaven, folks. We get to be with Jesus. Say, well, I want, to, I want to see what heaven's like. I'll tell you one thing. The best thing about heaven is Jesus Christ. You'd say, well, I'm not so excited about that. Well, then that might be a problem. You might need to check something out in your heart. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, for the Christian, heaven isn't just a destination. It is a motivation. It is. It is a motivation because we get to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus prayed. The real Lord's prayer, the prayer that our Lord prayed is found in John 17. And in verse 24, a precious verse, Father, here's Jesus praying, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. I want them to be with me. I want to see these people whom you have given me, these people who've been saved by my blood. Jesus 
wants to be with us, and I want to be with him. The best thing about heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an old fable. A man dreamed that he died. He come to the very portals of heaven, and he knocked on a gate made of a perfect and pure pearl. A voice within said, who is it that seeks entrance into heaven, and what is the password? The man stood before the gate and said, morality. I am a good man. I'm an upstanding citizen. The password is morality. The voice within said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Another knocked at the gates of heaven and a voice within said, who is it that seeks entrance into heaven? And what is the password? The man stood proudly and smiled assuredly. Humanitarian. That is the password. I have done many good deeds. I am a person who is heavily involved in charity. And the voice thundered from within, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Another man came who sought entrance into heaven. And again came the voice, who is it that is at this gate and what is the password? The man stood there and said, religion. I have worshiped God. I have made sure that I did all the things that was requested of me. I got baptized and I was a religious person. And the voice within said, depart from me. I never knew you. And finally, a fourth man knocked at heaven's portals. This is a dream, just a fable. Who is it that seeks entrance into heaven and what is the password? And the person, so not as much as lifted his eyes and simply said, Jesus Jesus. And the voice within said, open wide the gates and let this man in because this man knows the password. It is Jesus. And Jesus is the one whom we're going to see. And Jesus is the one that gets us to heaven. And it's the blood of Jesus. I'm not trusting my religion. I'm thankful for the faith that I have. I'm not trusting my good works. I'm thankful for the opportunities to be a blessing to this world. But the fact is, it is Jesus only that gets me to heaven. That's why the Bible says heaven's all about Jesus. You can be with me. And as much as heaven's going to be wonderful and it's a place and there's mansion and there's streets of gold and all that rest of that, the fact is the greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus is there. And I promise you, if you'll put Jesus as your hope for heaven on the authority of the Word of God, you'll be a heaven-born, heaven-bound, blood-washed child of God. And you'll meet Pauline and myself there and others that are here. We will all be together in a glorious heaven. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.